welcome to our bonus podcast. Uh, I have a special duo for this one. Uh, as usually, we have our experienced co-host from Izmir, Eric McCollum. But this time, he, for the first time, he's joined by his teammate, Mindogas Kuzminskas. So, hello, guys. Great to have you here. It's hey, good to be up? here. Hello. Yeah, and there's a special occasion why uh, we have uh, these two guys on the pods. Um, this is a yearly playoff uh, playoffs time, and we'll we'll share our predictions uh, on these pods, and of, also we will discuss a couple of other topics. But just before we start, before we start our formalities, since you're the teammates, uh, I'm expecting great insights and playful trash talk for, uh, from you. So if one gets too polite and diplomatic. I just want the ever to jump in and say, "Hey, this is not what you said in the locker room." So <laughs> let's 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 keep it real, funny with trash talk and and stuff like that. Is that all right? Can we agree on that? Sounds good. Uh, I'm just curious uh, to know what kind of basketball-related propaganda each of you are usually pushing in the locker room, and which usually irritates you, which you don't agree at all. What's the propaganda of Mindogas Kuzminskas and what's the main propaganda, the line of propaganda of Eric McCollum? Because I have a feeling that usually Mindogas might be playing this old-fashioned Lithuanian music or it's not something you you do in Izmir right now without having Lithuanian teammates. No, I'm not. No. I'm sure, unfortunately, I'm not because I would be the only one who is listening to it. You know? so I, I, usually, I do it at home. <laughs> he did um, pick some Lithuanian music for one, for the warm-up tape. So we had... um. Each player got to pick two songs. So when you're warming up, you know, an hour, uh, 70, 80 minutes before the game. And so I know he picked two songs. I heard one. I just knew it had to be Lithuanian because it was a song I had never heard before and it wasn't Turkish. <laughs> so what did the song It wasn't Lithuanian, but, but it wasn't Lithuanian, but unfortunately they never put it on, you know, in the gym. So, so. <laughs> it probably was too bad. <laughs> So what are the titles of those two songs that you tried to put on the playlist on the warm-up? Because the question for question for me? Yeah, yeah, Lithuanian songs. Yeah, it was old old school old old school song. Probably you know, of course you know it was a hyperbola song, you know. So usually we listen to those songs in the national team. So I wanted to bring, you know, a piece of, of home. But I completely see what you're saying because I remember once I was traveling in Spain, I think it was something between a double round week in, in, in Spain and I kind of randomly uh, ended up in Saragossa uh, to watch Ronaldo Cebutis play for a Saragossa team, some Spanish league uh, game. And I'm sitting in the arena, there's the warm-up and I'm like, hey, where this uh, song is coming from. And it was, I think it was actually the song of Hyperbole or Veiras. I don't remember the title of that song, but it was Hyperbola. so random. Hyperbole. I know Hyperbole. The same song? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So it was so <laughs> random, but so funny at the same time. And I watched Ronaldo Sibutis and he is like singing that song during the warm-up and nobody know, knows what the hell is going on with that song. So that was, that was pretty dope. The first thing I want to bring on actually is very interesting because this this might be the clash of two very different approaches. And I don't know if, Eric, you're aware of it, but uh, Thomas Walkup, uh, Olympiakos guard, uh, just recently, I think he already became the Greek citizen and now he will be eligible to play for the Greek national team in the World Cup. 
And I just wanted to hear your thoughts and maybe starting from, from Mindugas because it's it's more of something that is related to him because he's also about to play in the World Cup. And it's not the first time that some of the national teams are naturalizing players uh, and kind of have this unexpected upgrade uh, for those teams. Although there are some, I would say, more traditional federations and national teams that don't have naturalized players or have very different approach on naturalizing players. So uh, what would be your take, Kuzminskas? What was your uh, reaction? Well, probably it's not a secret. I'm against those things. And uh, because what is the difference between the clubs and national teams? You know, if we can take some, some guys who are not born and raised in that country. And also... Uh, there are two different scenarios. One is one of them when the player is uh, playing a lot of time in the same country. Uh, maybe he's already culture-wise, you know, adapted to the country. Maybe he speaks uh, that language. Then it's a different story. Then he really wants, you know, to be the the citizen of that country. And another story is when you just get the passport to avoid foreigner limits. Or just uh, to get your passport to to be able uh, to play in more teams for maybe bigger money, and then you just play a couple of summers for that team. So I don't like those type of things, and I really like that Lithuania is not going that way. Even there are a lot of opinions, and that maybe we need to add one player, another player, or even coach. I'm happy that uh, we small country, you know, we are holding our principles and. We're playing with only the guys who were born and raised in that country, basically. Yeah, for, for instance, Spain just naturalized Lorenzo Brown last year, who basically became the unofficial the MVP of the tournament and was super important for their uh, championship run. Uh, France, they, right now, they want to naturalize Joel Embiid. Uh, Embiid. Slovenia got Mike Toby and Anthony Randolph before Greece now... Uh, brings probably brings uh, Thomas Walkup. Turkey, they also had Scotty Wilbekin before and then later uh, Shane Larkin. Uh, Poland, uh, they all... Bobby Dixon before, too. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so even we're talking about the uh, powerhouses of national team basketball, they're, they're bringing the, these players and there are just few, few countries that still remain with this more of like nationalist idea. I think it's basically Lithuania, Serbia, and other than that, I might be missing some of these traditional basketball powerhouses, but basically the list is very short. And I mean, I have nothing against Thomas Walkup. I love him a lot as a player, as a person. And it's not his and probably not even Greek Basketball Federation fault. I just think that there's this loophole in FIBA system that allows uh, things like that. You know, some of these national teams use this one naturalized player rule to bring somebody who has ties with the country, but maybe had a different passport before, maybe played for some different youth teams, like we have Ignas Brasdekis, who played for the Canada youth team. And it allows, you know, to bring those who have ties with the national team to play uh, for the country. But at the same time, many national teams use this uh, rule in, for different reasons. I, and I just think that we're losing the sense of the national team basketball because I always thought that it's all about representing and Mm. representing the talent that you produce as a basketball country. And now we are getting in a situation where it's kind of a mix of local talent and then some upgrades in the free agency. But 
this is where I wanted to hear Eric's opinion a lot because usually American players are naturalized, but it is at the same time, uh, what is interesting also right now that Team USA is also thinking about, uh, you know, bringing Joel Embiid on the national team, although he's from Cameroon, but he, recently he got the USA passport, so he might be eligible to play for the national team as well. So I just wanted to listen what you think about the situation. So for me, I think um, I understand where the locals are coming from. You know, you have that nationalism, that sense of pride, and you want, you know, guys who you know, embrace the country and the culture. So for me, I think it's not so important that they're from that country, but I think um, it's important that they identify with the culture, the community. And I think the best way for that is probably to play there. So, you know, I think it's a good opportunity. I like the blending of basketball. I like that sometimes, um, you know, you, you bring in a different type of style and those type of things and, you know, coaches and, you know, um, leads have pressure um, to, to perform well, to do well, you know, in the national team. And, you know, for instance, like Spain, I think, you know, they didn't have that youth um, development as far as, you know, what players are emerging. Um, they don't have enough. They have a very good, you know, older players, the older generation, you know, when you're talking about from 37 to what, 31 ish, but I think that younger air basketball is lacking. And that's why you see a Lorenzo signing. So I think it would probably be better, you know, for both parties if the foreigner um, played in that country. You know, you understand what it's like to live there. You understand, you know, the culture, the food. Maybe you don't know the language, but you have a, a greater sense, you know, of, of that country and what it means to play for that country. At least for me, playing in the place multiple years. You know, I can feel like Turkey is home. You know, I can feel that, that energy. I understand certain things. Some things I don't even know the language, but I understand exactly, you know, what my teammate might feel there or that. And I think fans can relate to that and they'll, they'll draw to those players more. So, you know, kind of like what you guys said, I think just to give somebody a passport who's never played in the country is a bit too much. But if they've played there, and I don't know if you want to make it one year, two year, three years, it's a little bit better. You know, as far as Thomas Walker, I'm not sure how he helps them when they already have Tyler Dorsey. Uh, me and um, Kuz talked about this. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that is based around Giannis. You know, you have a generational talent, you know, somebody who's special. And then you throw in sometimes you might pay Papa Giannis as well. So it's a lot of size. Um, to me, they need a shooter or a pure scorer. You know, I think Walker fits the Greek style. He's tough. He's an elite defender. He's physical, but he lacks a lot of tools offensively. And he doesn't create more spacing for Giannis. So, you know, I think Tyler Dorsey is a better fit. And I think him getting the pass, but I don't think that will change just because if I'm into this, there's no way I take a guy over someone who I just signed to a three-year contract on my team. Like, what type of confidence does that put if I take walk-up over Dorsey? You know, so it's just my mindset on that. But, you know, you'll see it in countries like Serbia. You mentioned that they don't do it, but they did give Charles Jenkins um, – a nationalization. He was going to play until Tadosis put his foot down and said, if he plays, I'm not playing. But if he didn't do that, um, he would have been on that team because he's, and he, he understood some of the language he played in um, Serbia for like four years. I felt like he would have been the perfect guy. Like I seen him interact with his teammates, how he defends the Serbian mentality. And that was when he was a big time offensive player. You know, I thought he would have been perfect there, but you know, this is how it goes sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with Eric that I think Dorsey is better fit for Greek national team. Even, you know, Walker is an amazing player for most of the teams and he will help most of the teams, but I think they need a shooter, like you said. But I sometimes I think um, 
some of the teams are doing that not because of national team but because of local championships like we can see in, in turkey we have five foreigner limit and for example Fenerbahce when they have Wilbekin or fs when they have larkin it makes a big difference because yes. you have one more foreigner you know so maybe i don't know it's just my guess maybe it's also related with that in greek championship i don't know Yeah, there was some speculation. It might be related to Sasha Vezenkov uh, possibly departing to Sacramento. Maybe it might be related to Kostas Lukos potentially going to another team. In in one case or another, it gives them flexibility in the domestic league. Although I, I'm not sure if they really have a competition or maybe they're just expecting to Panathinaikos uh, to build up for the future and invest more and be more competitive over there. But yeah, Walcup's case is, is diff- a little bit different from Lorenzo Brown's because at least he has played there for two or f- three years uh, already. He wants to stay there. He resigned the contract for four more years. And th- at least w- that's what Thomas said, that he wants to, you know, to be a, a resident of, of, of Greece. Uh, he loves the country. He wants to stay there. So maybe that makes the difference. But again, I mean, it's 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 weird for us Be- because maybe we got used to the players' naturalization when not the powerhouses of FIBA basketball were naturalizing players. But now watching Spain, now there's Greece. And by the way, there's one thing about Greece. I think that If I'm correct, Tyler Dorsey is not naturalized player due to his uh, mother's Greek background. He is like he's treated as and his status is as any other Greek uh, national team player. So I think that Itudis will be able to have both of them on the national Ooh. team. With Kalaitis and Salukas, it's a lot of a lot of point guards, but yeah. So anyway, that's that's gonna be an open topic in Europe for for many years. I don't know, maybe that's maybe this is the problem of our approach with Mindugas. Maybe the world is just getting more globalized and it's it's normal to have this mix of cultures, mix of different approaches and you know, it's it's not like it was before and maybe it's not bad at all, but for us, for these old men, it's it's still hard to adjust, uh, <laughs> especially in a country which didn't have any naturalized player before. Okay, the, the, the second topic before we go with the playoff matchups is, I would put it this way. Let's say um, your coach, uh, you have a head coach who, not including any names, let's say there is some coach X. That coach is a coach of a back-to-back champions team, which makes them uh, make the playoffs in the EuroLeague. Uh, and, and then that coach starts publicly flirting with the other particular Euroleague team and says that there are there is off, there are offers from many more Euroleague teams. And although he's still on an important task in the domestic league to win the championship, uh, he makes it so publicly and with no hesitation. I was just wondering, how do you feel as a player if that coach is a coach of your team? What, what impact it has on your team? Uh, Eric Eric played for that coach X, so he can he can respond. <laughs> yeah, for me for me, I have a problem with it. Um, I think players and coaches need to be held at the same standard because we represent the organization, we represent the fan base, and there's a certain level of professionalism. I'm not saying you can't or can sign a contract, whatever. That's the case. If he signed, if he didn't sign, that's for you to decide. But to speak about another team that you could potentially play for or coach for. While in the current season, publicly, um, to me, is distracting, one, to your players. Um, and it makes it harder 
for your players to buy in for you when they're already having issues internally, when they're already having, you know, a up and down season, whether it was from injuries, you know, whether, you know, key players were out at the wrong time, whether guys weren't clicking in, whatever the cases may be. I think when you do that, you create another obstacle for your team. And this is a season when you need as few obstacles as possible when you're probably the first team in the historic era to win the championship and not go to the playoffs. So me as a player, I'm very um, respectful, but I'm also very vocal. And I would have a conversation with the coach and I would ask him about that because as a player, if I was doing interviews about playing for one of these teams, this would be a big problem. They would, fans would hate me. Uh, team might try to find me. There would be all type of breaches in my contract. They would try to, you know, foresee. And I just think like to show that unity and to show the togetherness, that's not a conversation that should be had. That should be a no comment or that should be um, I'm here to talk about FS and what we're going to do in the Turkish championship. Um, any questions regarding my future career, we will talk about after um, we finish our season here. Well, yeah, I think I think most of the things which happened in that team during this season, I think they, they should, should have stayed inside the team, not on Twitter, not on press conference. And that distraction didn't help us. It helped them. From the other side, maybe some of the coaches in these certain ways trying to make uh, their team react. I don't know, you know. Sometimes he's, you know, saying some bad things about his players during press conference. Maybe he's trying to push him this way. Right now, maybe, maybe he's trying to show his team that, you know, he's um, one of the most wanted coaches in Europe and, you know, that they should respect him more. I don't know. That's that's my thoughts. But like Eric said, if the player did that, it would be a big, big problem. Yeah, exactly. That's that's how I thought about the situation. Uh, and Coach X is known for making, you know, uh, messages to his players. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, I think, I think, you know, like I think, you know, you know, the, the titles which he had won during his career, showing a lot of things, and probably some of those things which are not usual for other coaches, they are working you know, as his strategy. So, might be it's also one one of of his moves. You know, I don't know. In his in his ways to negotiate, you don't really have to say that to the media, to the public. You could literally have your agent go straight to FS organization and tell him. Look, he has an offer from Panathinaikos, this amount of money. If you guys want him, you better move fast. And you could do that kind of internally where it's seamless. Or he could even say, I probably get offers all year like he did. The first time he answered, it was correct. It was probably like a month ago. He said, teams call, just this, this. I'm focused on the season. You know, yes, Panathinaikos calls, but, you know, I don't discuss next year stuff. Like, okay, that was better. But to discuss, like, I might be coach here. Like, you got one foot in, one foot out. How can I trust you as a player? I also think that it's it's part of Ataman's game. It's part of him building his public image to to make everybody feel that he's one of the most wanted coaches in Europe. But at the same time, I mean, I think it's disrespectful to the organization, disrespectful to your colleagues, assistant coaches that are working f uh, with you and for you, and to your players. Because the the message I'm getting if I'm working with him. Okay, if I'm working with him, I already know who is he all about. But at the same time, I'm getting the message that you're not fully focused on the goal that we're all up to. And for some of these players, for some of these coaches, that might be very important for their future careers. And to have your captain, the, the main uh, man of your team, you know, 
giving those interviews and being one foot on, on our team and, and stuff like that. I don't, I, I see more ways how it hurts the team when it motivates the team or more uh, options uh, to do that. So it's it's very weird. It's it's really weird. And it's, it's, it's just what Eric said. It's a bit weird that at first his strategy was different. Now he's, he's acting completely opposite when it was before. So I just don't get it. I think I think he will stay in FS anyway, honestly. Okay. I mean, it sounds like the better play. I mean, Panathinaikos has went through how many coaches and how many years? They change it like like we change underwear. Um, it's a lot of pressure there. They haven't, you know, been a, a force in the playoffs in a long time. Um, one time they have the right the same owner. Another time he steps down. Another time he's trying to sell the stakes to the shareholders. Like you just, if I'm a coach, I like stability. You know, I like knowing what I'm going to have, and then. I would like to have double the budget. I mean, at FSU have double the budget. You know, why would you want to go for half the budget and less job security? You know, that's just my opinion. Unless he's going to come back, you know, Panathinaikos is going to be back at the old time. You know, Ottoman likes to have his control, you know, when it comes to player process, picking his guys. And I don't know if Panathinaikos is going to do that. So it'll be interesting to see, but he needs strong guard play. And, you know, when you cut the budget 50% going to a different team, it's going to be hard to find, you know, the Mises and the Shane Larkins of the world. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I, I also wouldn't be surprised if that's part of his mind games to get an offer or to get an, a better offer from FS flirting with, with other teams so publicly. But if if he really goes to Panathinaikos, I mean, I, at least from what I've heard, they really, or at least they're, you know, letting everybody know that they might be ready to invest way more than before. And it might be closer to Ottoman standards that he had in FS. So I wouldn't be surprised about this, uh, you know, cooperation at all if Ataman decides finally to join Panathinaikos. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll see, we'll see. That's another interesting thing that we'll probably be discussing for weeks and months uh, in the upcoming future. But let's focus on the Yearly playoffs right now. We have four intriguing intriguing matchups, and we are ready to give our predictions for all of them. And let's start from the first and eight seeds: Olympiakos, uh, Fenerbahce. History and statistics and numbers show that it should be the least competitive playoff series because uh, I was I actually forgot that both of these teams played in the preseason as well and Olympiagos won all four games in double digits and in the EuroLeague regular season uh, they won both games by huge uh, large uh, margins I actually lost the number but both of these were over 20 yeah exactly uh, do you see in any room for uh, this pl- matchup to be more competitive uh, do you see it as a sweep or it might be way more intriguing when it looks like looking from a side? And I went back and forth with this one just because with Finner, it's been a tale of two halves. Um, you know, you've seen a dominant team at the start when they were healthy, when things were rolling. And then you've seen things start to start to take a turn when they added some players. The chemistry kind of got shook up a little bit. Then some injuries hit them and you started to see that they were vulnerable. But for the first, you know, two, three months of year lead, it looked like, you know, they were just going to dominate the entire year. I think that I'm expecting a gentleman's sweep. And 
not because I don't think Finn is strong, just because I think it's Olympiacos time. The way they're playing, their togetherness, how to play as a team, uh, the trust that Madrokas gives the players, they they have that continuity from being together. Um, with Finner, it's a new team. Um, they added a lot of key pieces. I do think they have the advantage at the five position. I think Motley's too strong for Baba Boy to guard. I think he's too quick for Mustafa Fall. I think he's going to have his way. Um, I think what can make this series very interesting is if Finner switches all the, all the screens and plays with the tall lineup. If you switch the screens, you take Salukas out of the game with his pick and roll play. Um, he's not really a one-on-one guy. He's really good in the pick and roll, so you can kind of eliminate some of those easy looks. And then you hurt Mazinko in a pick and pop. Now he has to go to the post. He's not really a post-up guy. He has a decent face-up game, but he really kills you in close-out attacks and pick-and-pop situations. And Finner has the size to switch everything. And Nigel Hayes is an excellent defender, probably the best overall around defender in the lead when it comes to guarding one through five position. So I think they can make it very interesting. Um, I'd like to see Willow come back, but I also don't know how that affects the team, you know, because now you have to take minutes from Dorsey. Then you have to take a little bit from Calathis. Then that puts Carson Edwards back on the bench. And then it also takes a little bit from Guterich. Um, So, you know, if they can find a way to implement him in there, it could be special. And I wanted to say, uh, you know, it goes five, Olympia was one, but I just, I couldn't just because of how dominant they were in the regular season, but also where Finner is at now you know, domestically and also in the yearly and that stretch is hard to just turn on the switch. So three, one, I think it will be some good games, but if they switch everything from the beginning, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes five, but they, they must switch. They cannot play pick and roll defense against them because it could be bad. Well, I have the same score. I think Olympiak is going to win three, one. If you put two teams, just name by name, head to head, uh, I think that Fenner has even better roster. Mm-hmm. But their problem is that, uh, like Eric said, I think they have too many players, which is a lot of times is not comfortable. You know, those guys, they used to be leaders of their team playing more than 30 minutes. And right now they need to share the the, the minutes to accept the roles. And Olympiakos is strong by that. Everybody knows their role. Everybody knows that, you know, Zenkov uh, probably going to take the most important shots. Lucas is going to play pick and roll. You know, even Alex Peter is going to come to the court, make a couple of shots, take, take a couple of rebounds. Everybody knows what they're going to do. In Fener, nobody knows. And like Eric said, when Wilbekin will come back, it's going to be even tougher for, for, for them. And um, that's it. And yeah, I, I was I was thinking when I saw that Fener going to play Olympiacos, I was thinking that it's way better fit for them than uh, Barcelona or Madrid. But then I checked uh, the scores, and yeah, one game they lost by 20, another game they lost by 27, which is impressive. But at the same time, maybe, you know, it's, it's really hard to beat the same team seven times in a row. So that's why I think that Fener going to win at least one time, maybe maybe, maybe two times. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's even hard to think about that such a talented uh, team and roster that Fenerbahce has can be swept by Olympiacos because as 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 Kuzi mentioned I mean looking head to head and as Eric mentioned with their defensive potential they can really it feels like they can really be a tough matchup for for Olympiacos but the way how Olympiacos made it with this team it's, it's it goes above the roster it goes it goes above the talent but there's this continuity uh, this uh, sense of knowing their roles and just playing a dominant basketball, not necessarily with the most dominant players, 
but somehow putting up, uh, putting everything up to make it as a dominant, uh, dominant ball game. So it's going to be very tough for Nerbakce. It, it, it depends on who they're going to have on the lineup, actually. They have injury problems, and it's not just including those names that are uh, mentioned on media and in this pod, like Vilbikin and Nemanja Bielica. Uh, it's, it's not going to be easy. And I, actually, looking at, at, at this, some stats, I was also surprised, and probably that should be the focus of Fenerbahce, how they should start the game, how, with what kind of approach they sh- should start the game, that in both games in the regular season, uh, if we would look only at the halftime score, uh, Fenerbahce was outscored by 48 points in two games. That's just ridiculous. I mean, in Piraeus, uh, Olympiakos was uh, up by 27 after two quarters. In Istanbul, they were up by 21. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, Fenerbahce should be ready from the beginning. They should be physical as possible. Maybe it involves sw- switching uh, everybody, as as Eric mentioned. I think that they have a right personal to do that with Nigel uh, Hayes Davis, with Dishon Pierre, with yeah. these uh, mm, tall, uh, tough, Booker. physical lineups. Exactly. So I I really want to believe that at least in Istanbul they will take that one win. So it, it it's strange to see you know uh, Fenerbahce with so much talent on the team being in this position, but but yeah, it's yeah. also. Uh, a lot of but also uh, like like Barzokas said, like Barzoka said, the basketball gods might help Olympiakos because they could lose the last game and avoid Fenerbahce in the first round. You know, I think uh, if I'm not wrong, any of other teams would be better for them. But they they won. I think they they made the um, right thing. You know, because you cannot do those things in I mean, Euroleague in high high level basketball. You know, so so that's just one thing which I wanted to mention. That's an NBA move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One one uh, interesting fact to to add up what I said that uh, Olympiakos is actually the best team in first three quarters, and because their average uh, margin that they built throughout the first thirty minutes is uh, eight point five points. Uh, which is huge compared to the second or third best, which is Barca and Real Madrid, close to five points. So, the the importance of you know being ready for the beginning of the game is is huge because there's another interesting stat which was published by Free Steps Basket recently that Olympiakos is actually the second worst team uh, in in the crunch time basically if the difference is not bigger than five points in the last uh, five minutes of the game if I'm correct uh, Olympiakos has the second worst net rating so it shows just how important for Fenerbahce and for everybody else to keep up with them for the first three quarters, not to let them uh, to get away with a huge lead. And then in the end, a lot of things can happen. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, let's hope that it will be intriguing uh, matchup uh, and 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 we, we will witness some some great playoff battle as we did last year between Olympiakos and, and Monaco. So if I heard it correctly, we all say that Olympiakos in four, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Let's head to the second matchup. Uh, Partizan Real Madrid. Uh, what are your thoughts about this matchup? I think this is a tough one for Partizan. Um, just the Tavares effect. Um, he kind of mucks your offense, you know, what you want to do. Uh, I think he'll be able to negate uh, the sort energy on a glass, you know, those second chance points, you know. They're not going to be able to rely on a lot of those scoring um, in the paint. 
just because Tavares is such a defensive force and you know such great size, it also takes away some of those um, pull up jumpers uh, for Kevin Ponter. You know, coming off that screen, trust me, playing against Tavares when we played against him in the year league, my time there, you can't see the basket um, unless you shoot deep threes. Like you literally come off, he's in a drop coverage. If you try to shoot like a fifteen foot pull up, which Punter is really good at, you can't see the basket. The only thing that's there is deep threes or the snake dribble where he takes the screen. He goes across the screen, and then the big man's in a way, and you can kind of maybe get that 18 to 17-footer. But, like, he really takes away what you want to do. So I think you know, they're going to have a great home court. They're going to do what they have to do. Um, Abravich is going to have them ready. Um, the best they can do is hope for one win. Um, but I would not be surprised if it was 3-0 just from the pace that they play with, how they get going, you know, the bodies they have after – um, the big fella's tired. You know, you bring in a player like Vincent Poirier, a great big man, good energy, who's strong. And I just feel like with the schedule, it's going to be very hard for Lazort to play 35 minutes a night, 36 minutes a night when you're playing, you know, every other day and then you travel and you got that break there. But it's not easy to to play that high demand in basketball and that caliber. And I think Real Madrid has better depth. You know, they're going to limit the minutes, you know, how Spanish teams do. And that's going to allow them to be stronger throughout the course of the series. Well, yeah, I think the only advantage Partizan has is uh, their fans because it's really hard to, to win in their gym. But other than that, uh, for example, Madrid is first by rebounds in EuroLeague and Partizan, they're the last by rebounds. So they're going to they're gonna have big, big problems like like Eric said with, with, with Tavares. And also uh, during those two games, the regular season, they couldn't stop Gabriel Deck. I don't see anybody who can guard him because uh, Papa Petro, uh, he's a good player, but he's not a really good defender. And especially this year, he's kind of struggling, has some some probably some problems, and um, he doesn't show his best best game. So I think just mentioning these two players from Madrid, they they're gonna they're gonna help Madrid win the series three one. Because I, okay. I still think that the partisan with their emotions, they can take one one game at home, and especially you know they have Coach Abradovich, who probably has biggest experience in yearly playoffs. Exactly. So probably that's the second thing, second advantage that partisan has against Real Madrid. You just, you, you mentioned the fan base, uh, the great crowd that they have. Uh, as I was told by some partisan people that they have already requests uh, to fill fulfill basically two star Karinas uh, for the playoff series against Madrid. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they could accommodate, you know, from 30 to 40,000 people in, in, in one gym for the one game. But yeah, that's that's going to be wild because I also believe that in Madrid, they're going to have a great, great support with traveling partisan fans. But I think that they have more advantages. I think that first of all, um, partisan is a better coach team and I, I just expect better coaching adjustments uh, which are, might be crucial in the playoff series and, and, and having two games in 72 hours. I also think that Partizan is a, in a way better momentum uh, as they also won the last matchup against uh, Madrid at home. What is interesting that both games went over 100 points uh, and both teams split uh, victories and actually the one who scored over 100, uh, that, that, that team won that game. Um, but I just think that Partizan is in a better momentum. They won some... Great games against great teams, including Monaco, Olympiacos, FS Madrid. Yes, many of those wins came at home. But I just saw and witnessed a better chemistry between the players uh, of Partizan. And I think that they fixed their defense compared to the first part of the season. 
And Real Madrid losing uh, four of their last seven games. They don't have that momentum. They have choose Mateo as their head coach, who's a rookie coach at that level. And it, it will be a very tough matchup against Obradovic, who's a master of matchups. Uh, and yeah, they have some advantages uh, you mentioned, especially with Gabriel Deck, uh, Gabriel Deck at the forward position, uh, which was very important in, 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 in both games. But I just, I just go with this partisan bandwagon for the series. I might be fooled by partisan uh, momentum like I was last year when Maccabi finished the regular season strong and they were actually swept by Real Madrid, although many thought that this might be the time they will uh, be beaten by Maccabi in the playoffs. But in this case, I just think that partisan improved their game a lot in the second part of the season. They got consistent. They have a lot of talent. They have a great unity between the players. They improved their defense, which is important. They always had the best offense in the EuroLeague. So I, I believe that they have all the tools to make a biggest upset in the playoffs to steal, uh, to win against the team which has the home court advantage. Yeah, I agree that they're a better coach team, 100%. But don't, let's not forget what kind of players Madrid, Madrid has. You know, They have so many experienced players who won a lot of titles and who know when to play and, you know, and especially in those type of games. And uh, like I said, I think it's really hard for Partizan to win this series when you're not controlling rebounds. Usually who's controlling the board, controlling the game. Yeah. I mean, you might be completely right. Real Madrid is more talented. There's death on their side. And there's this championship mentality. Although I think that considering the death, I, I think that Jelko Bradovic managed to use, and of course, it, thanks to the improved shape and, and, and game of role players like Smilagic, like Trifunovic, like Yamadar, they added a little bit more depth in the second part of the season to make them deeper. And usually they, they play the starting minutes of the game just to give some more rest for the main players. It might be it might be difficult in a, in a tough series if the uh, series goes to four or five games, but somehow I feel that this is the matchup where we could see this uh, upset. I just... I don't feel like you can trust those young guys, not in a playoff atmosphere, not with so much on the line. Uh, regular season is one thing, but once you get in the game, you know, you've seen their up and down playoff season. Now it's, it might be a tall task um, against a team of Real Madrid's caliber. And, you know, they have good size too at the guard spots. You know, like, like Koo said, there's a lot of mismatches in the post. You know, I think I think they're going to utilize that. Gabriel Deck, Hazonia, a lot of things you can do. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I do think Partizan will fight. I think they'll try to muck up the game, make it real physical, um, try to take Madrid out of that pretty basketball, those sets flowing, the movement, and that's their best chance. But even then, I think it's just 3-1's their best hope. Okay. I, I say Partizan in, in five. Really? Yeah, yeah. You like Partizan. I want to be that brave guy that will everybody remember after this podcast if I will be right. Because if I will be wrong, I mean, nobody cares because that's what maybe <laughs> they expected. So, so this I is a gamble. This uh, I, think, I, think, I think it's opposite. I think you're just afraid to go to Belgrade if you say opposite, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to Belgrade either way. I'm going to cover the Monaco and Maccabi series in the beginning and then I will head back to Konos to, to greet Barcelona. But... But I see your point. I see your point. <laughs> that's a good choice anyway. Monaco and uh, Maccabi, that's the best series, I think. Yeah. That's going to be the best one. And probably the most unpredictable one, right? Yeah. Unpredictable. Yeah. 
Do we all have game five or you see I getting have, shorter? I have. I I, have, I, I, I think that Maccabi going to win the series 3-2. First of all, because they have huge home court advantage and they're basically unbeatable at home. And Monaco doesn't have that. And both of the teams, you know, has good guards. But still, the, the way Maccabi is playing last, I would say, couple of months is really, really impressive. And um, which is a weird thing that uh, both of the teams has a lot of guards. They're playing ISOs and etc. But for example, Monaco is first by turnovers. Like they're making only 10.6. And Maccabi is, is fourth with 11.2. So so that's really weird because, you know, usually they're just playing wild and it looks like they should make more turnovers, but that, that's that's pretty impressive. But like I said, I think that Maccabi going to win the series 3-2. Even um, Monaco has big advantage in coaching staff. I think Bradovic you know, is a really experienced player and he, he knows how to play those games. But I, I'm still going with Maccabi. Yeah, for me, um, I also have Maccabi in five. You know, harp on the same things. Fifteen and two at home. Um, only losses to Red Star by three, and um, Barcelona another close one. You know, just that crowd, the energy. But I do think the guard play is elite. Um, you got Mike James versus Lorenzo Brown. Um, two different styles, but you know, two game changers. And then you throw away Baldwin, um, and that mix against Elia Kobo and Jordan Lloyd. I think it's going to be something special to watch. Um, I give the size advantage, obviously, to the Maccabi guards. I think you might see them start to use Wade and Lorenzo in the post, you know, to kind of wear out Mike James and Lacobo, take away some of that energy for them to attack offensively and to utilize that size and maybe put them in foul trouble. You know, as we saw last year when Mike James got in foul trouble against Olympiacos in game five, um, it really changed, you know, everything that they wanted to do um, and, you know, took away some of his aggressivity and, you know, he wasn't able to, you know, to close out the victory, but, you know, he was, you know, very strong in getting them there. And I think, um, you know, they have good bigs as well. Um, but Poitras coming back, that's a huge injection for them. Somebody who is really good in the pick and cut, who also can switch, um, who's another rebounding force. And, you know, he can provide some problems um, for Monte Yunus and pick and roll coverage. Um, you'll probably see a lot of Dante Hall when you see Poitras out there. But even then, they can still counter with Josh Nebo. I just feel like it's going to be a lot of athleticism in that court, a lot of up-tempo. And I think at this point, I think Maccabi has less uh, that they're trying to answer. I think Monaco was, you know, with the stuff that happened with Mike, you know, him, you know, taking the lead of absence for the team and then coming back and then trying to find a way to implement himself, you know, while still playing for the team, but being who he is. I think, you know, when you're gone for a while, it could be difficult for you, especially when your team has success without you. And I think he's finding, you know, who he is. And the team needs him to be successful. They need him to be that dog. Um, and uh, he's a willing passer. He'll do what's necessary. It's just sometimes he's so good and so dominant, it can take away from other people's aggressivities. And those guys have to stay aggressive. The Jordan Lawyers, the Kobos, they have to be in attack mode because you don't want Mike to not take his foot off the gas. But you can't allow to be caught watching his greatness. You know, get involved, do what you do too, and I think it gives them a better shot. But that home court, fifteen and two, it, it jumps out to me. Yeah, like like Eric said, like I think a lot of things gonna depend on Mike, what in what kind of shape he's gonna be because uh, I think he was in a great shape during all the season, but after these things which happened inside the team, I don't think that right now he already caught his rhythm. 
And at the same time, honestly, they don't have advantage um, in the paint. Like, I mean, they, they, their big guys are good. Like, with all my love to Donatas Mutayunas, but uh, I don't think that they have a huge advantage. And right now, Monaco is last by three-point shot percentage in the league. So without making three-point shots, it's really, really hard to win series like that against Maccabi. I think three-point shooting will be crucial. Crucial, as you mentioned, they're last with fifty-two percent three-point shooting. They also uh, last in the three-point shot attempts, and that's of course related to the lack of shooters that they're gonna have. They during the season they couldn't find the stretch four, uh, which could help to you know to spread the floor for all of these guards for all these great uh, players that they have, and they're struggling. Was available, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that guy who, who they didn't sign now is killing them in the playoff uh, predictions. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. <laughs> no, but yeah, t- t- to be serious, it's 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 it becomes very tough. I mean, I think that the decisive moment of the series for Monaco, and just for the entire series, will be as I mentioned, Mike James, and then three point shooting by Monaco because. Uh, Maccabi, they usually allow their opponents to shoot threes, but the problem is that if Monaco keeps missing them, Maccabi is one of the best teams in transition, and they're gonna just destroy them uh, if they don't convert those uh, open looks or, or good good looks uh, into three points. Uh, and it a lot of depends on the luck, uh, on the how accurate John Brown, Blossom game, Diallo, or even Matiunas will be. But if not, the the paint will be packed for them, and it won't be easy to score because Bakabe also they they can throw some physical tall lineups that will make uh, their life uh, really hard. Uh, and yeah, the other decisive moment is is Mike James. What kind of Mike James we will see in the playoffs? Because uh, I mean, I would say that his season before the suspension was great in the first half and the second half of the regular season maybe it was more of a roller coaster but uh then he returned after the suspension he had this weird stretch of four games uh and his return against Jalgiris he scored six points he had four assists and four four turnovers which is understandable because he was not playing for three weeks already so it's just hard to return after missing uh, such a long time then against Bayern Munich, he had season high. He tied his season high 28 points on tremendous six of nine three point shooting. But then the following two games against Partizan, he made five turnovers next to six assists and 10 points. And against FS, he missed all of his six shots from the field and finished the game with seven points. I mean, these numbers are far from what Mike James can do and supposed to do on Monaco team. At the same time, the good news is. Good news is that playoff Mike James is just elite. For instance, last year against Olympiacos, he was averaging almost 18 points, uh, 4.5 rebounds, 5.8 assists, and over 20 uh, efficiency rating. Uh, in every playoff playoff series that he had, he never scored less than 14.7 points per game. Uh, and usually he attacks the rim on, on great and efficient numbers. So, I mean... We can expect Mike James to be locked in uh, in the playoff series, and that's what Monaco really needs from him if they want to overcome Maccabi, which is so similar to to Monaco. But the difference is that I think that they're in a way better momentum in the second part of the regular season. Way Baldwin is is playing amazing uh, half. Lorenzo Brown return; he got back in his shape. Poitras returning; they all click so great together as a team. 
and they're on this you know mood uh, to, to to win it all uh, all the way to the final four in Konas. So unless Mike James puts his beast numbers and unless uh, Monaco starts making threes, I also see Maccabi winning it in five games. I would say. And this is the take which probably will make Donatas Martinez not to shake my hand in, in Monaco when I will visit him next week. So I kind of feel bad about it, but that's the reality right now. Yeah, I think um, you guys are all right. That three-point shooting will play a major factor. I never really worry about Mike. You know, like you said, like he always shows up in a big game. He's going to do what he does. It's just that it makes it extremely hard without that spacer. And, you know, I love John Brown, love his energy. To me, the best defensive player um, in the pick and roll or, you know, in the post with his activeness, the way he steals the ball in the EuroLeague. But, you know, he's not a shooter. And he's, he's probably going to have to be, you know, when they shrink the court and they help. You know, um, Diallo's not a shooter. You know, you're talking about these guys are in the lower 30 percentages. You know, Blossom game is not shooting the ball well this year, 24% from three. And these are guys who are you going to need. They're not going to leave Jordan Lloyd open. You know, they're not going to leave Kobo open. You're going to rotate off of the other guy, and it has to be another person out there on the court. And it would help sometimes if they could go pick and pop with the five or with the four. But I think Mike's going to produce. He's going to do what he does. But, you know, when you have a player of his caliber, you need that shooting around it to kind of open everything up, you know, because he's the type of guy that could hurt you with 10 to 11 assists or with 30 points. Um, I just worry if they will exhaust him um, just because he'll have to carry so much of the offensive load. Um, and then he's going to have to guard Lorenzo um, and Wade and, and Wade's in constant attack mode uh, like so it's, it's exhausting to have to you know produce 20 and 6 assists and, and then go guard a guy who you know also is capable of scoring 20 and 5 or 6 assists so it's going to be interesting to see but I, I still feel comfortable with the Maccabi pick and you know I think they just they have more players um, if you're Monaco you got to try to attack those 3's and those 4's you know maybe stay away from the 5 and you know, two and one Lorenzo's a good defender. Wade's a good defender. The fives are good. You got to go at the threes and fours. So I'd like to see a lot of uh, Mike James with the three-man screen action, allow him to kind of work out a little bit. Definitely attack the four-man. I think there's some opportunities there. So w which team has a better, better backcourt? Is Maccabi's duo the greatest in the EuroLeague this year? I mean, statistically, the numbers say it. Uh, the points they produce, the assists, uh, their impact on the game. Um, and then they have, you know, better shooting around them. I think you have to kind of say them, but I do still feel Mike James is the biggest talent on the court. But I think right now, Lorenzo Brown and Wade Baldwin are in the best form. Well, taking only guards, probably I would go with Monaco lineup, actually. You know, I played with, with Mike James, with Jordan Lloyd. Both of them are amazing players. And... Especially like Donatas mentioned, they're great in important moments and playoffs. I think it's time to to for them to show up. But looking at the older roster, I think Maccabi is still better. Okay, so we we all have Maccabi in five, right? Yes. yes. Okay, and the last matchup, uh, Jalgris Barcelona. I see Mindogas is is smiling. Can you just give us some hope that <laughs> it won't be a sweep? I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's um, the less talented P 
team in top eight, but with the biggest heart, playing against biggest talent team probably in, in Euroleague. Um, it's just really hard for Jalgis to find correct matchups. You know, like uh, for example, Arnold Butkevich's this season he's doing an unbelievable job. You know, stopping. Uh, best players of, 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 of the teams, for example, you know, he stopped Mike James and then all the others. You can mention, you know, all, all of them, but I don't see who can stop Mirotic. And we can, we, we saw in the last game against Algiris how he was dominating, you know. None of us tried to play uh, against him, but, you know, Mirotic is way, way higher. With cabbages also, so it's just really, really hard for Jalgiris to find the correct matchups, and, and that's the main problem for them. And um, like I said, Jalgiris has huge heart, you know, and I think they're fighting amazing. That's why they're in top eight. But uh, usually, Sikavicius team is also the same. You know, he is also making all his. Players who are even bigger stars, you know, dive on the floor, fight for every ball, and you know, just 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 fight hundred percent. So I think it, it's gonna be really really hard for Jalgiris to make uh, one more surprise because honestly, for me, it was huge surprise that they made it to to top eight before the season. I wasn't even thinking about that. I thought that you know probably gonna be like 12th, 13th together with uh, Panathinaikos. But what what uh, Coach Masquitas did with his team this year is just something amazing, especially um, when you lose your most important player. I remember me and Eric, you know, we during before the practice we were stretching together, so we were talking that probably it's gonna be tough times for Jalgiris when they lost Evans. But what they did is just speechless. Eric, do you have any sophisticated explanation how the hell Jalgiris managed to make the playoffs? Because honestly speaking, I don't, I don't, I don't have it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's amazing, you know, what that coach did. Um, you know, he took that talent, you know, no slight to the players. Um, you know, everybody knows based on you know, experience, um, careers, name, whatever, resumes, that they don't have, you know, the level of their counterpart, Barcelona, or some of these other teams in the playoffs. You know, it's young guys who are proving themselves or guys who are coming in and had smaller roles and, you know, who took that and, you know, are submitting themselves, you know, in the Euroleague. And, you know, just to see them overcome some of those teams, win those clutch games, go to certain places, you know, with a lot of pressure, you know, that shows the character, that shows the toughness. I think it shows the Lithuanian fighting spirit. Um, but that also, to me, also means that the season is over. You know, the accomplishment was getting to the playoffs. You know, at Vizagiris, there's not an urge to go further. It's like, great job, guys. Everyone around the city, I'm sure, is showering them with love. Like, you did it. Whereas at Barcelona, anything less than a title is a failure. It's a difference. It's an urgency. We're supposed to be here. We belong here. You know, how you show up, how you do things is a lot different when you expect it than compared to when, you know, you're gambling with house money. It's like going to a casino and, you know, someone just gave you chips to play and Zagiris hit. You know, they did an excellent job, but there was no pressure. They weren't playing with their own money. You know, now you're in the playoffs. It's a different type of atmosphere. I think there's just too many answers on Barcelona strong. They're good in the half court. You know, they can't run with you. They're physical. Um, they have shooting. Um, they have experienced guards. Their guards are tall. They have good size. I mean, you know, they have the coaching. He's going to utilize mismatches. He's going to figure out who he wants to attack on the court. And he'll go at them all night. 
until substitution is made or until, you know, an adjustment is created. But there's only so much adjusting you can do when you have limited resources. And Zalgiris, they maximize this season. So just chalk it up as an excellent season. Pat the coach on the back. You know, I think if Kenan Evans was here, it could be maybe one win, you know, but, you know, Kenan Evans isn't walking through that door. Um, I don't think they have anyone who's capable to take over this series or this game that could produce one win. Because, you know, you have to be a special player to be able to go against a team that you have no business beating and to be able to take over that game and dominate to or to lift up other players. And I don't think they have anybody on the roster right now who can manufacture easy points for guys. When you have one guy who can kind of get open threes, get easy pick and rolls, who demands a double team, it can kind of give you hope for an upset for a game, not for a series. But when you don't have that, everybody can stay home. You don't really have to worry about helps. There's no advantages being gained. It found it extremely difficult for them to create mismatches against Barcelona. So 3-0, it will be quick. Um, hopefully it will be a quick death. You know, Don't make them suffer. But it will be fast. I'm sorry to my Lithuanian friends. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I hope it's, a, uh, hope it's a shot to the head and not a, a bleed out. <laughs> yeah, but Eric, at the same time, Jalgir still has nothing to lose. And the pressure from Barcelona is even bigger. You know, just the only thing that is Syria's best of five. That's that's the biggest, you know, difference maker. If it was only one game. Mm. Yeah, one game will be different. <laughs> one game. Anything yeah, right now, yeah, it's, it's the best of five, so that's why it's, it's, it's really hard. Don't but, forget that don't forget that Barca has this history of making things complicated in the playoffs. Zenit series, best of five. Bayern series, where nobody saw that coming, best of five. Jalgris has nothing to lose, but they're also, they, they stay hungry. They won against Barca in the regular season. I know it's it was very early, but they, it made them believe that they can beat this team. And all, although they lost against Barca by 20 in, in January, I think, it was also the game where everything go was going according to Barca's plan and Jarg just played one of their worst games. And I, I mean, I completely agree with all of your arguments that you said, but basically the same you could say about the second part of the regular season. They didn't have this go-to guy uh, to finish, to, to score from, from every corner of the court, uh, to clinch some victories offensively. But somehow you see Edgar Solano was making some step-back shots and, and crucial uh, plays. Somehow Arnaz Butkavich was making corner trees uh, in the, with the buzzer beater and, you know, helping to push Sharkidis to win those games. So a lot of crazy things has happened that led them to the playoffs. So, and, you know, you never know how long it will last. Uh, logically uh, sophisticated speaking you know from 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 science perspective there should be any chance for for Jalgiris, but let's see how this playoff um pressure affects barca we have this uh, history we have Jalgiris playing at home the the third game and it should be an emotional game for both coach Sharuna Sisikavichus for for uh, Roko Sukubaitis uh, as well. And if if Barca won't treat them seriously, they might get in trouble as they did with uh, Bayern Munich. It all goes to the game one in in Barcelona. And I mean, I don't. I, and the matchup, by the way, I have a matchup to look for. It's Roland Schmitz against Nikola Mirotic. I want to see this matchup a lot because uh, Schmitz was the backup of Mirotic for the last three years. 
And basically, the lack of bigger role and the desire to show that he can play a bigger role was one of the reasons why he left Barca, why he actually refused some good offers in Spain, just to play in Jalgiris, just to have this opportunity, you know, to to play a meaningful, significant minutes and to be one of the key players on the, that team. And Schmitz is really great defensive uh, player. He knows Mirotic what he loves, what he dislikes very well from, you know, day-to-day practice uh, routines. He knows how to put him out of his mind, out of his uh, control. And if only referees will let him play physical, then it might be a very interesting series between those two. Well, let me harp on that. Let me harp on that. Okay. uh, So, So I think Smith is a good player, but Miritich is going to show you if they play one-on-one, he's going to show you why he was his backup. He's going to abuse him. He's too light. He's too skilled in the post. He has the jump shot. He can hurt you from the perimeter. He can pick and pop him. He can hit him in the mid post. He can back him down with strength. He's a footer. It's just too many options. Like, And it's really hard to guard the four in general just because you have good guard play coming off the screens. Like, You have to hedge. Like, Especially, you know, Lipperville, like he can shoot. Um, so if you don't hedge and stop him, like you're going to give up walk-in threes for those guys. You know, you could buy this has the nice mid-range pull-up. So like he has the hedge. And when you hedge, you're vulnerable for the pick and pop. Like it's it's hard to guard. But also um, the difference in those series against Munich and Zenit, they had strong guard play. Kevin Pangos was the guy who could control the series. If you play through him, give him the ball 30, 35 minutes a game, you know, he's good enough in the pick and roll to make things easy for his teammates. Wade Baldwin was in Munich. There is no Keenan Evans. If there was Keenan Evans, my my talk would be different because that's somebody who can create and dominate and do something. There's no one on Zagiris roster who can change the game for a course of a series. Maybe one game a guy can show up, but to consistently demand double teams, hard hedges, traps, to get people easy, wide-open shots, there's a reason they only score 76 points a game, and it's because offense is very difficult to manufacture. Wade Baldwin, Wade Baldwin wasn't on that team. Just, just, just let me to add, was Wade Baldwin wasn't on that team. It was the last year's team with Nick Weiler, Bob, oh, Corey Walden. Silly. But I think was he Z- was injured. Was ZJ Silly on that team? No, 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 no. Last oh, year yeah, it was that, Nick that was Weiler, two- Bob. That was a couple years ago there with DJ exactly. Silly and Wade Baldwin. That yeah, was a good team yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, but last year they were not as talented as the previous Bayern Munich team. Basically, uh, they played with Nick Weiler, Bob. I think it was Obst, Yaramas on their backcourt. Walden was injured. Darun Hillard was injured. And, I mean, they were also very limited. And I think that, you know, offense, offensively, Jalgiris will struggle a lot. But defensively, uh, I mean, I think that Jalgiris won a lot of games or put themselves in a the position to win games uh, playing great defense. So I think that that's all, also should be their one of the only hopes that they have. So so to make it Smith, ugly game. You think Smith is going to stop Mirtich? You believe that? I'm not saying that. I'm just eager to watch this matchup because there's so much behind it for, for Roland Schmitz. I mean, hey, I think he's good, but hey, that's a tall order. <laughs> I understand. I understand that Smith uh, knows Mirotich, but at the same time, Mirotich knows him. And what is more important, Yesikavich knows all of them. And Yesikavich is just genius in basketball. So I, I think that he's going to find a way how to attack and more than that Smith right now he's playing more as a five True. you know just right now they're playing small balls so and yeah Jalgiris is they're really limited in offense in last games against Barcelona they, they scored 74 73 so if they can 
keep Barca below 75 points, then they have some chances. If, if Barca gonna score 80 or more, I don't think they have chances, unfortunately. And last year, was Corey Higgins hurt in that first series? Was he injured? Mm, he got back either at the end of the series or for the final four. I don't remember particularly. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, but I remember he was out for some time. And I think yeah. when he was hurt, they were a different team. They were not the same. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I understand the Zagir's pride. You know, I know it's probably hard <laughs> to, to go against the, the, the team. You know, I know it is, but you're not against them. You're just you're just using your brain and just being honest. I was I was using my brain the entire season. Somehow they still made the playoffs. So I mean, <laughs> they go beyond logical thinking, really. They have done excellent. I mean, coach of the year yeah. for sure. He's done an excellent job. All the odds were against them, you know, but they made it. So we have coach of the year because he's Maxvitas, right? Yes, for sure, hands down. Best defender of the year. You just mentioned you just praised Eddie Tavares a lot. Do you pick him over Thomas Walkup? I feel like, and you know, it's crazy because I feel like last year John Brown would have got it, but then like all the stuff happened in Russia. I feel like almost we owe him one, but. Um, I mean, Thomas Walkup's an elite defender. He might not get all, like, the statistics that the bigs get, you know, with the blocks. And, you know, he's on ball a lot, guarding the best players. So There's not going to be a lot of steals. But he does make it extremely difficult, you know, for guys. And, you know, I think you can't go wrong if you go any order of Walkup, Tavares, or John Brown. Like, those are the three best defenders that I've seen, you know, in the year elite and that are at a high level. I think John Brown was playing better defense in Kazan. I don't know if it was yeah. system or something. I think in Monaco, he's not as efficient as he was there. Sometimes I see him overhelping, you know, and, and sometimes doing some unnecessary things. And maybe I shouldn't talk about defense at all, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I see what I see. <laughs> so, um, and also maybe at the same time, yeah. I think that uh, Tavares, yeah, he's helping a lot. He's changing a lot of shots, even if he's not blocking them. But knowing that Olympiacos are first right now in regular season in Euroleague, I would give this award to Thomas Walker for sure. He's just doing an amazing job, which is sometimes not even in the stats. Will the voters be aware that maybe he won't have all the statistics that, you know, show defense on paper, but, you know, like the when he's helping, when he's forcing extra pass, when he's guarding the best player, you know, because I mean, he does get 1.9 steals a game, but you know, sometimes I feel like when you're a really good on-ball defender, sometimes that gets lost in people's mind because everyone falls in love with the block shot for the big man. Okay, so I, I think we didn't uh, point this out, but so we have Jalgiris, uh, I mean, we have Barcelona in, in, in three and four. How many games you give to the series? Three. Maybe two and a half, huh? Might be over half. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Might be Stop over half. Stop it, please. <laughs> uh, I would say four. I want Jalgris to win one, one more game just to people to enjoy more the second second game in Kaunas, you know, and for Jalgris to earn more money and sign better players next year, you know, so <laughs> even better, you know. So I'm going with Barca 3 1. Barca in five. 
Oh, oh, oh. Mark, my word. Mark my word. I'm telling you, Eric, his situation is different. He's in Lithuania. He might go to Belgrade, you know, so his situation is different. He, if you don't say that, he can never go to coffee again. <laughs> no more walks around the city, nothing. Yeah. I have to go with those big fan bases. Partizan, Zhargiris. If Red Star was in the playoffs, I would go all in with Red Star. I mean, I have to be smart about my, my safety in, in those cities that I visit throughout the season. Yeah, and best best of luck for you guys. Best of luck for you guys. The next time you visit Kaunas, especially you, Eric, Kaunas, <laughs> Belgrade, just just wishing you best. <laughs> I, I I love Lithuanian people, but you know I don't go to Lithuania much unless I have a game. I told Kuz it's always dark and gloomy every time in season, and it's cold. <laughs> and then I think Guinness ruined it for us. He picked a, a remote city for a preseason when I was at Locomotive Kuban, and we stayed there for like two weeks, and it felt like an eternity. It was a small city with nothing there i think oh it was horrible i i think think you were in point of the hotel a little bit a little bit weird hotel right yes yes i I wouldn't wish this place on anybody but i I do like um (laughs) countess is decent Uh, i like um vilness this is good city um outside of that you won't see me in lithuania but i do like the people (laughs) <laughs> actually actually it's hard for me to discuss these topics because usually the players uh they're coming to, to lithuania during the season when it's dark cold rainy you know yeah. and i'm in lithuania during the summer when it's nice light everybody's in good mood you know sunshine so for me it's really hard to discuss you you should come to to lithuania during the summer maybe yeah. you change your maybe opinion. i need the fun before I need a summer experience i think if i yeah. go in the summer it will be a whole different thing i just hate the rain and cold and I'm from Ohio, so I'm just tired of it. <laughs> Yo, Kuz, you should take Eric in, in July, you know, to one of your, you know, saunas or to, to, to some lake to experience that Lithuanian greatness that we have. Because what's great about Lithuania that in July, it's like below 30, it's not too hot. I mean, it's quite mild, warm that you have over there. So it's it's way better than in, in States or whatever, it, where it is like over 40 degrees, so... Yeah, and Eric Eric loves saunas, by the way. Yes. Yeah, he loves saunas. So. Okay. And I, I bet that when you've been in uh, Lithuania in August, I believe it was like plus 10 or plus 15 or something, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, Lithuania is, is the great, but the problem is that we have this great weather only for one month throughout the whole year, basically. So, okay, maybe two, but other than that... That, that's why we're hard workers, you know. <laughs> that's why all the games are full. There's nothing to do, so everybody goes to the basketball games. <laughs> and it makes us warm, you know, that kind of atmosphere with 15,000 people close to you, it makes us warm. Yeah, yeah some, 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 sometimes we come to the gyms when it's cold here in Turkey, you know, and, and some of the assistance coaches say, ah, you should be, you know, used to it because, you know, you're from Lithuania. I said, yeah, in Lithuania it's called outside, but not inside the court, you know, inside is hot. <laughs> yeah, they have beautiful gyms. They do. They do a good job with the gyms. Okay, guys, it was pleasure to share basketball insights with you. It was pleasure to talk to you. I hope your picks uh, will be dead wrong and I will come out on top with my crazy ones. Uh, but I wish you a great playoff experience. I don't know if, if, if you follow your league as close as you will be watching every game. I'm not sure if the schedule will allow, but I believe it's going to be a big topic in the locker room, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Me and Kuz will be going back and forth, talking about it, trying to see who was right. 
<laughs> some of the other guys as well but yeah wow. i love i love i love you know betting so i think i'm gonna make some bracket and we all gonna bet you know, in the locker <laughs> <laughs> that's a good deal right there good deal <laughs> if you if you like betting if you like safe betting there is basket news playoffs brackets where you can share your predictions and win some prizes including please no commercials here no commercials here okay please <laughs> this is my podcast i can do whatever i want so there is this great great bracket on basket news and just enjoy the best playoff experience also follow us on basketnews.com website youtube channel and our social media channels and of course thank you thank to you guys for for sharing this one hour with me and with our listeners Hope to listen to you uh, soon during the some stretch of the playoffs or the final four. All right, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs>